Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm Sarah Century. I am looking at a Hellraiser doll right now. I'm Essie Fleenor, and I'm looking deep into Carol's eyes. Carol Danvers. <laughs> Today we have a question from Johnny, longtime listener, first time emailer. Hi, Johnny. First off, I absolutely love the podcast. Oh, gosh, now you stop it. Keep up the great work. Oh, we will. I was listening to the latest episode about Poison Ivy, and it reminded me of something I've been wondering for a while. Have Ivy and Swamp Thing ever interacted? Have they? (laughs) Have they? They sure have. They sure have. (laughs) The end. That's the episode. Bye. (laughs) No further explanation needed. But yeah, I don't know. I have seen them interact. I think that they have an interesting interaction with each other. They both knew each other before. So Pamela knew Alec. Alec knew Pamela before they were associated with the green. Were they both students of Woodrow's? Yeah, they were both in like, I mean, you know, this changes. (laughs) But like, you know, they both knew Woodrow (laughs) like somehow. He's a huge asshole and he was equally an asshole to both of them, I would say. He does really terrible things to both of them in slightly different ways. Obviously, he kind of manipulated Ivy in a lot of very creeper terrible professor dude kind of ways which is slightly different than the impact that he had on alec but (laughs) yeah you know he comes back and kills a bunch of people right in front of him just to prove a point later so (laughs) who's to say what's worse but um, i fucking hate the floronic man i hate him he's truly a monster anytime somebody makes an attempt to lighten him in people's eyes i find it to be highly upsetting because if nothing else he's essentially somebody who led to a lot of huge problems in her life so I think that one of the most important things is that whenever Swamp Thing first comes to be the Swamp Thing, you see him have kind of an immediate need to do good. He does good things almost automatically, kind of just because of whatever reason, he's still being guided by Alec, right? So he still thinks of himself as a man who becomes a monster, which of course we find out is not the case, but he has these kind of ethics that he's holding on to for dear life. Whereas whenever Poison Ivy is bonded with the green it is through a traumatic process of experimentation and she is reeling from that in the first appearances that we see she has a lot of kind of eco-fascist ideology so she wants the humans to suffer and things like that you know things that are (laughs) fairly relatable but not necessarily good So she eventually comes around. We have a long process of her healing and kind of being destroyed again and healing. 
We see that a lot with her. So I think that just the sheer difference in how they approach the green and that situation, their new powers and things like that is some of the most important things to observe whenever we're looking at any kind of a friendship between them, which they do have a friendship, but they are extremely, extremely different in how they came to their powers. For sure. And I think that the way they're portrayed is so different, right? Like in the beginning, Swamp Thing is treated as a villain. And then there's the, we talked about it in our very first episode, the whole Alan Moore comic run where he retcons his history and sort of makes Swamp Thing not a man trapped in vegetation, but actually vegetation come to life that is in fact not a man. We've talked about the gender identity of Swamp Thing. I've used they, them pronouns for Swamp Thing. I'm also like very aware that Lots of people who are gender fluid or gender non-binary, gender non-conforming, use binary pronouns. Not here to judge. So I've been sliding back into using he for Swamp Thing. Because he often calls himself he. It's exactly. Kind of, yeah, we've been kind of on the fence with that. And I think that that was even what we first said was it feels weird to call him he because I know that he's just always been written by these people who aren't necessarily always looking at how non-binary you know, Swamp Thing is as a premise. So it kind of borders between, is it erasure or is it, you know, Swamp Thing accepting his own identity? What is it? It's kind of not the easiest one to parse, but at any rate, definitely (laughs) non-binary. My new outlook is that Swamp Thing uses he slash they, you know? And really the truth is Swamp Thing mostly communicates without words. We translate it into words because, hello, we're people who have to speak externally. But a lot of Swamp Thing, his communication, their communication is with the green through connectivity with plants, through being literally connected to them. But I think it's really important to think about, you know, yes, Swamp Thing was a villain, but he got sort of retconned into being more, I'm connected to the green. I'm just the voice for nature. That's been, you know, treated with some nuance at different points. But today, no one really looks at Swamp Thing and thinks, oh, what a villain. But they do frequently look at Poison Ivy and call her a villain. And I think the important piece of it is like, because people tend to gender Swamp Thing as a man, and Ivy is a woman, identifies as a woman. And is very feminine too. Yes, very feminine. Very feminine presenting in her attitudes. Her connection with the green is extremely feminine. Like all of her story is based in femininity. It's eco-feminist too, right? So it's like the idea that humanity's relationship with the planet is a recapitulation of men's dominance of women. Again, a little bit binary here, but know that we have lots of nuance in how we're thinking about these things. And also that this is how other people are presenting it. So we kind of have to find our own (laughs) way of looking at it, I guess. Exactly. And so I think that it's that feminist piece and how outspoken and how polemic her politics are. Like Ivy's comfortable with going to war with humanity. At different points, so has Swamp Thing been. But he's always been sort of like called back, quote unquote, I'm using scare quotes, to reason at different points. And it's the revenge plot line and things like that, whereas we're very willing to accept that Poison Ivy is just erratically violent, right? Exactly, exactly. So you talked a little bit about the green. I think that's like so important whenever we talk about either of these characters because they don't interact a ton in comics unless I'm mistaken. Time and again, usually like sometimes in alternate histories or alternate futures or what have you, but they are always connected in theory because it's not like Swamp Thing connects with the green and then steps out of it. He's always connected to the green. And you understand Ivy's relationship with the green better than I do, Sarah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Actually, I don't think I do because they are terrible at establishing what it even is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so no one understands. (laughs) 
I, I think that's what me. I would say is what I understand is that I understand nothing, basically, because <laughs> they exist in the same world. There's definitely crossover. There's been times whenever Ivy, like, you know, there's people who ship those two. There's been that very casual romance thing that we see every now and again between those two, which I always think is just the most bullshit <laughs> thing in the world because, yeah. like, they are not the fucking same, okay? <laughs> like, they have n- almost nothing in common. How they view the world, nope how they view the green absolutely not like what they do with their day-to-day lives how they're treated by the heroes how to treat their human partner yeah, these are yeah. all things that they fucking they could not be more different mm-hmm. and i think that whenever somebody tries to put them in a relationship together also you know they knew each other in forms that neither of them identify with or are comfortable with anymore like neither of them really want to go back to their past selves So that idea, too, that you would come out of something that cataclysmic and be like, oh, now I'm just going to like hook up with somebody that I associate with that time period in my life. That doesn't usually happen. I mean, it does sometimes, but it's not usually great. And why would you want to? You know, (laughs) these are all things that make me be like, I just don't really like it because it just doesn't make sense. It's one of those ones where you're just like, no, they both have really long standing relationships with human partners that can't hope to understand them so like and I like those because they give you a lot of interesting dynamic you know I learn more about Swamp Thing through Abby Arcane than I do through Swamp Thing absolutely I learn a lot about Poison Ivy through how she interacts with Harley so I think that those are important dichotomies so whenever you take that away and you're just like well they're both into plants so I guess they're married now you know it's just kind of reductive I can see why there might be an attraction I guess but yeah totally I think that they would have a lot to talk about but I don't think that they would choose long-term companionship with one another I'm with you Sarah like I think that like why would you want to be with someone who's so similar to yourself like that's not a great way to grow <laughs> you know it's not similar a- but complete opposite exactly exactly they're basically the same and like if you work together but like I'm <laughs> the same thing that you both really like or yes something. exactly well said completely not compatible whatsoever like it just doesn't that storyline doesn't make sense and I think it is something that is extra great because it just kind of pushes heteronormative ideas onto these characters that we've, you know, really explicitly stated how important it is to their personalities that they are not that, you know? Absolutely. And I think that Alec slash Swamp Thing has a desire to still be connected to humanity. And I think that Ivy finds herself connected to humanity. I don't think she usually wants to be. She has to struggle with it to a pretty intense degree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was my sense, but I was like, oh, I don't know Ivy as well as some people, so I don't want to overstate. But I think that those things are really important. And like the differences between them are great. I read somewhere someone was like, Poison Ivy isn't just female swamp thing. And that blew my mind. I was like, who thinks of them like that? I've realized people do. People think of her as like the seductress version of Swamp Thing, which is like, no, they're so different. There's so much of a different nuance to both of those characters that I think that they would see eye to eye on some things, but it would be very difficult for them to have a long term conversation even with each other. That was Swamp Thing's entire focus is his role in the green and how he treats the green and you know what his interactions are a lot of ivy's focus is telling humanity to step the buck off you know (laughs) so like i think that that's just such different approaches and they don't combine those are not similar they both really like green things that's like what they have in common (laughs) totally totally and they were both abused by the same terrible human you know 
that's not really a great foundation for any kind of a <laughs> relationship or even a friendship, honestly. But I can see why, like, they would meet up and talk. Yeah, yeah. And I see them as part of a lineage is how I'm sort of thinking about it. And I think that one of the great examples of that is actually Neil Gaiman's Black Orchid, particularly number mm-hmm. two, Black Orchid, the second Black Orchid, goes on a journey to find herself. And she's with her, like, little sister slash daughter weird and then she meets ivy it's not a great representation of ivy and then she meets swamp and really struggled with ivy just to make a note of that like the secret origins ivy there's a lot of really cool stuff in that but they definitely by the end of it are just like yeah she's hysterical (laughs) yeah they do they do fall on some deeply misogynistic tropes around her of course they do they always do with ivy unfortunately but i mean if you're gonna look at somebody that actually was trying to extend some sympathy towards the character gaiman was one of the first to do that so agreed and i and i think the art shows that even better than the plot like i think the art around ivy in gaiman's works is really powerful and that is partially game and right like it's a conversation between writer and artist and i think it's just a bummer that so much of the plot ends up being like really damning of her when it's like what you were so close so you were um, so close so close <laughs> they also like in the alternate history of injustice gods among us that was based on a video game i did not realize that and is about where superman's like a real jackass. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the villains end up being like the good guys in this storyline. It's in uh, year three, it starts with issue 22. Ivy and Swamp Thing team up to save the burning forest around them. And actually they start out fighting with each other. Ivy's like trying to kill Swamp Thing. And he's like, what the fuck? Don't kill me. And she's like, you're an asshole. And he's like, no, I'm trying to protect the green. And she's like, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I like that idea. I'm on board. Let's do it. Let's just like fucking protect the green. (laughs) It's like really cute, actually. They, They like touch foreheads. To me, it did not feel romantic at all. It felt very like when you're talking to somebody before you have to go do something hard, like grocery shop, and you're like, put your foreheads together. You're like, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? You see dudes do it in movies all of the time, and nobody makes that. No one's like, ooh, boyfriend. Super gay or whatever, even though, like, sure, but. (laughs) Super gay, yes. These two, no. Different standards (laughs) is all I'm saying. (laughs) Agreed. Also in Swamp Thing from 2013 when Rot World happens and it's like a lot of the overlapping story between Swamp Thing and Animal Man. Swamp Thing comes back out of, I can't even remember where he is, the green I think, and he comes out to like the real world and it starts around issue 13 and the world is like pretty much gone. He's standing in the bayou and it's a desert. But Ivy is there and she's been preserving the green in sort of like a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of thing, up a stalk at the top. She's been helping keep the green alive. And they don't interact for very long, and they end up disagreeing about what the right way to handle things is. But I, I think it's like a pretty good Ivy. I like Ivy in that. And she's constantly like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Alec, God yeah. damn it. <laughs> and it's like pretty yeah, cute. Totally. I mean, that's kind of the thing is, is that in the end, Ivy is always going to be paired up, I think, with women Almost always because she gets really annoyed <laughs> with how dumb all the dudes are. And like, so, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough because they always are around Ivy. But that's kind of her constant thing is being like, hello, male presenting character. Could you please not fucking step on the goddamn flowers? Yeah, <laughs> and everybody totally. is just like, wow, what's that person all mad about? She's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like, actually, she has a goddamn point. <laughs> You know? Yeah, she has a great um, point. That's yeah. a really cool Swamp Thing, too, because he yeah. like, puts wings on and creates horns for himself. That's cool. And it's mm-hmm. a, a cool version of Ivy. She has, like, really beautiful lip color. If anybody knows how to make that lip color happen on human lips, please email me. I would like to do that to my lips. 
because it looks so cool. And then the last mm-hmm. one I was going to mention, and we were just talking about this, Sarah, is Justice League Action, which is an animated series for DC kids. There's a really funny episode where I think it's called The Bad Green Thumb or something like that, where Ivy controls Swamp Thing. And there's a point where he's like, you know, Ivy can manipulate plants. I'm a plant. It's, it's so, so funny. And everybody's yeah, just like getting funny. their asses kicked by like this combo. And in it, it's weird because Ivy's like my future husband, but then she's like hanging she out. She does with the Harley. thing that, yeah, 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 yeah. That sucks. But it was a really funny cartoon. And also, it kind of, I mean, you know, Swamp Thing was out of character too. So, oh, yeah, it's like a very weird Swamp Thing. It's like not, not any Swamp Thing I've ever heard before or anything, but I loved it. Yeah, this is like 80s movie Swamp Thing or something. This is like bunny, edgy Swamp Thing that does not exist in the comics world. He's pretty much the straight man in every scenario. Swamp Thing, he's so sincere all the time. You know, like he doesn't Mm -hmm. have that edge that obviously Ivy has that like lots of other characters have. He's just like, no, I must protect the green. So yes, it was very off-character representation, but hysterical. If you want to see them interact in a way that you're just, like, not going to see in the comics, that is so, so funny. I love that she's, like, pulling his strings and, like, kicking the Justice League's ass because she's like, I'm Ivy. Hello. Yes, that's always the most important thing is that we see a lot of power from Ivy. Absolutely. I mean, she's always holding back, pretty much. Anything else on Poison Ivy? We don't ship it. (laughs) We do not ship it. If you take nothing else away from this episode... We do not ship it. And it's me. I ship everything, but I do not ship it. But I do love both of those characters. And I do love when they interact with each other. Me too. Like, I kind of feel like they're almost like cousins or like, you know, college friends. Exactly. Comrades in arms. They've been through some fucking dark shit. Similar things in some ways. It's not quite as extreme, but I was just reading the new Kelly Thompson, Captain Marvel, the 2019. And it kind of reminds me of the way Rogue and Carol are able to be like, we're not friends, but like, we're cool. We're never going to be friends, Mm -hmm. but like, we're cool. Because we've been through like similar trauma. Oddly enough, because one of them was traumatizing the other one. But you know what? It's a complicated scenario. But in this, it's like... Back and forth after a while. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. Boundaries are fair. This feels like, oh, we have a common trauma, a common gift, and literally nothing else in common. So, of course, we would like... Right. Like you were saying, it's like they're co-workers. They're going to talk around the water cooler. And in in this case, the water cooler is like a beautiful plant that they're going to stand next to and talk. <laughs> I think that's the best best case scenario in seeing them together. I think you're right that people do shoehorn in a romance and it's always like womp womp. Ugh, I know. And literally, Harley is standing right there. <laughs> She's always right there. She's always <laughs> literally less than three feet away from Poison and Ivy. <laughs> Unless Ivy is like, get away, I need some space. I need some space. <laughs> You've been within three feet of me for the last seven years and Harley's like wait this is a is this an attachment thing am I being weird I can't tell Hi, listeners, if you didn't know, we have a new fiction project called Decoded. It's a pride anthology. What we're doing is we're publishing a story a day for every month of pride. It's kind of a way to bring pride home. And we have subscriptions on sale, don't we, Sarah? Yes, we do. They are $12 until May 17th, and that's whenever they go to the regular price of $15. 
if you ask me, kind of a steal either way, but... And that's $12 for 30 stories, right, Sarah? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that's what we've planned. <laughs> and every single person <laughs> who publishes with us comics, short stories, flash fiction, longer form short stories, they're all LGBTQ plus writers. So you are actually helping keep writers writing. Yeah, we're paying everybody, which we like to do. We give the monies to the peoples. <laughs> so if you're ready to buy a subscription right now for only $12, make sure to go to decodedpride.com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. The comic of the week is Red Sonia and Vampirella Meet Betty and Veronica. Written by Amy Chu, art by Maria Sanapo, colors by Vinicius Andrade, letters by Taylor Esposito. Yay! <laughs> so fun. I love this comic. I didn't know that I needed this comic in my life. Yeah. We talked about how Amethyst is like, just a really fun comic. This is so fun. It is just like every panel, every page is just delightful. I love everything about it. I love everything about it. I love the title. Red Sonia and Vampirilla meet Betty and Veronica. What else could you need out of life? That is incredible. The fact that this comic even came into being is just majestic. They, I believe, also intended to end the series after the first run because they didn't think it was going to do that well or they didn't know how well it was going to do. And uh, they've expanded the series. So I think they're on issue 10 now. This series is so, so fun. Amy Chu is an incredible writer. She did a ton of work on Red Sonia already. Her Red Sonia definitely, to me, is one of the ones that just kind of, we talk about how good Gail Simone's Red Sonia was. It's kind of that to Amy Chu for me, like in a lot of ways. And Amy Chu had writing partnerships and worked with a lot of other really good writers. So I'm not going to say that it's just those two holding up the franchise, but it is definitely those two that always write the Red Sonia that in my head click the best right and that's the one that we see here and i love her so 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 much i love this red sonia and all of her actions through this entire comic i think she's like kind of the standout character i was gonna say the same thing and <laughs> when she's 
a jock at Riverdale High. I don't know if I've ever been more attracted to anyone. Like, she's clearly an adult. She's not a teenager. Yeah, that's, like, the thing with Riverdale, too, though, right? Where you're just, the like, show. these are people who are, like, playing teenagers, and they're all, like, in their late 20s. So yeah. you're just, like, I feel weird about this because I'm, like, that person is attractive. And then I'm, like, oh, my God, I'm talking about a high school student. And then I'm, like, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. But I am because fiction is weird, and this is weird. That's how it is with Red Sonia. Yeah, she's <laughs> not a teenager. Definitely not. It's like she's cosplaying for me yes personally that is what it's like a football player and it turns out something that i find unattractive in men i find very attractive on red sonia oh yeah well i mean that's not going to be the first time we say that about (laughs) red sonia who can do literally anything and still be a complete babe so yeah no she is clearly an adult um so is vampirilla it's really funny to watch them kind of walk around with the teenagers (laughs) and be like Yep, we're all teenagers here. <laughs> and so he's like always ordering a beer like at a coffee shop Everywhere. at a diner. And everyone's like, Do do you have ID? And she's like, I'm Red Sonia. Give me the ale. Like I have a sword. <laughs> and when they take her sword away, she's so pissed. <laughs> she's so mad and she just gets more violent until she gets her sword back again. <laughs> They're like, it's actually less violent for us just to let her keep the sword. When she takes her sword to football practice. Oh my God, it's so fucking funny. Like, what the title is, it's 100% what the title is. It's these characters interacting with each other. I mean, now they're on Draculon, so now they've gone into Vamprilla's world. But for the longest time, it was them interacting in Riverdale High is basically what the first arc is. So it's, you know, school newspaper stuff is happening. Vampires etc etc someone's like sonia you're failing all your classes and she's like i literally don't care i'm fucking red sonia i don't know what to tell you Um, i'm from hyrcania they're like what does that mean (laughs) she doesn't want to wear the clothes like people keep trying to make her wear clothes and she's just like dilton's like where are my pants and she's just like i never bother with pants (laughs) it's like you fucking don't you're right I just thought about how definitely Red Sonia is the one who will go into a fight completely naked and not give a shit. She does not care. And she wants adventure. That's like the funniest part. She's all, you promised me adventure to Vampirilla. And Vampirilla's like, why do I have this grumpy date with me all of the fucking time? Like, how did this happen where I have a grumpy girlfriend that I'm constantly trying to appease? Like, I guess I'll do it. But And that's like Vampirilla 100% just to be like, I guess I'm in this weird position right now. So I'll just do the thing. Well, it's like you take two pairs of characters who have great chemistry. Love Betty and Veronica. Love Red Sonia and Vampirella. They both have a bit of an odd couple thing, but also like really supportive of one another. And God, I love women who've got each other's backs, you know, and you really get that. But then you compound them together. Oh, the hijinks, the preciousness, the hilarity. I just I love it so much. I love it so much. Yeah, I'm obsessed with this comic. I think it's one of the best that I've read that just is so fun. It's like one of those ones where every time I see it in my pool list, I'm like, I'm going to have a great time. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be able to read something goofy that's great and has a lot of sword fighting and Vampirilla like biting people. And of course, Betty and Veronica doing hijinks as they do best. (laughs) And it is kind of their story. Why won't the newspaper print my article about a vampire cult? (laughs) 
I know that was so so funny and then like I, yeah we can't talk about parts of that without giving away the whole thing yeah, of course totally, totally. but the responses the interactions there's a detective whose name is Irene who I think was really fun in this oh, comic I'm she's really usually funny. very anti-cop but her hilariousness was endearing and yeah just the whole thing honestly it's one of those comics where it's just like the title obviously people kind of I remember people being like I'm really not sure about this and me being like it'll probably be good because I saw the creative team I love all of these characters I've always loved all of these characters we've talked so so much about how much I love Vampirilla <laughs> and she's great in this she's not really the focal point she gets to kind of step back and let Red Sonia be the funny one meanwhile Betty and Veronica also are pretty prominent their characterization isn't really that much but their interactions with each other and with Vampirilla and Red Sonia are <laughs> and they have just so many good one-liners in this comic there's just so many funny little jokes of like yeah it's not like we like threw you in prison or something why would you want to leave Riverdale to like Vampirilla after she literally got thrown in prison <laughs> for like eating all the blood in the blood bank there's just a bunch <laughs> of goofy goofy shit like that that's super fun to read it's so funny to see this juxtaposition you know what I feel like it does I feel like adding Red Sonia and Vampirella just shows how absurd Betty and Veronica's lives are already because you know, like, like, it's not it's like you don't blink an eye basically yeah they're like i'm upset that i didn't get my article in the paper i'm upset that i'm not doing well in school and also i'm going to solve this murder it's like what <laughs> the stakes in those two things are so different but not to a high schooler right like, yeah to a high schooler it's all the same so funny and i love that red zonia and vampirella get like wrapped up in it you know the fact that red zonia joins the football team is hysterical that is hysterical she's trying to solve a murder <laughs> and she just ends up in this role because why not yeah that's kind of what the comic is like is basically amy chu obviously just having a great time with how ridiculous this premise is and you know making it just as fun as it needs to be to succeed because like you know, we didn't come here to read like Watchmen. <laughs> like we didn't exactly. come here to read something that's deep and serious. We wanted to read something that's really fun. These four completely ludicrous characters interacting with each other in a way that is actually kind of tender because they all have each other's backs to such a degree. So yeah, I mean, everything about this is great. Like I can't, I can't recommend it enough because it was just fun, you know? Well, the writing is fantastic. The pacing is so good in the writing. The colors are beautiful. The art's fantastic. I think it's always hard when you have a character who's portrayed by actors that are like well right. known to then try and capture that likeness, but not too much, you know, because right. you don't want to take them out of the experience. And I thought that the art really balanced it well. Yeah, I always think of the artists who do that, and you're just like, this is like a creepy <laughs> like thing to read because it's like you just staring at these people's pictures and drawing them specifically who they are when does it just become tracing kind of yeah totally so this doesn't really fall into that pitfall at all i think that the veronica for instance is a very unique looking veronica mm -hmm. but you can tell her apart from vamprilla who has essentially like a lot of the same features so yeah i don't know i think that the art's great yeah there's i mean this is it's totally one of those comics where you just run out of ways to say oh this is really great yeah, go, <laughs> go, great. go read it that's like the, the final answer to this whole thing is go read it you will not regret it if you look at that title and you go in your head i might like that then yes you will probably like it you are correct new 
are a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H Y P E R T H E T I C A L.